classical, so unpredictable Here on the SNL Network Yes, so welcome on in everybody to the Saturday Night Network here for our week four patron feedback show. And this is the show where we answer questions from the week and look forward to the next. And I am very excited to do that. It has been an amazing week of podcasts, let alone the show this past week, in my opinion. A hot Take Show was super fun. Roundtable, great discussions on Halloween night. In case you were out trick-or-treating, go back and check out that one. And last night, TJ Randolph was on the By the Numbers show, breaking things down with Nicole and Mike Murray. So go back and check out all those shows. But tonight, we have some very special guests. Thank you for everybody who sent in their questions for this show. You can always do so either on the day before or the day of the show in our forum on Twitter and on Instagram, where you can ask us questions about the previous week and we look forward to the next but now introducing some of our patrons some of our biggest supporters here at the saturday night network and of course if you would like to become a patron and podcast with us you can do so at patreon.com slash the snl network but let me introduce for the first time making his podcasting debut it is james matthew andrews james how are you i'm doing good i'm happy to be here i was sort of asked at the last minute to replace someone said yes excited to be here although i I do have one question any questions john you you're hosting this podcast right now correct correct and thomas you have a podcast a fantastic one called snl hall of fame right that's correct and thank you for the plug (laughs) was i supposed to host a podcast in order to be on tonight i feel like i feel (laughs) like i'm joining without doing the homework i just wanted to make sure well, I think that this could be potential practice for future hosting of a podcast. So think about what you would like to do. And we'll, you know, Thomas and I are very experienced in the space. Oh, that's bad news for everyone. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Well, happy to have you on. Happy to get to hear your thoughts on the season so far. But uh, he's already been introduced. So let me hand things over to my man, Thomas Senna. Thomas, how are you? I'm doing great today. Thank you so much for having me. I got a little bounce in my step. It's been a really good week. I have a special guest joining me today. It's Mr. David S. Pumpkins in Funko okay. Pop form to celebrate the the return, the glorious return on Saturday. So uh, Mr. David S. Pumpkins will be by my side uh, tonight for this podcast. David Pumpkins from before. I love that. <laughs> yeah, very happy to have you on, Thomas. So excited to get to talk to you. Always one of our great patron guests that we get to have on these shows. So yeah, let's talk about this Jack Harlow episode as we'll put the final words on what we saw from this past week. So really, storylines for me from the week that I'm sort of taking away that I think I'm going to remember. Um, Jack Harlow, I think not a lot of hype coming into this episode. In fact, I think people were sort of dreading Jack Harlow coming in. I don't think he was that bad. Like, I think he was actually pretty serviceable and good. James, you agree? Yeah, I agree. I When, it, when he was announced as host uh, that weekend, Willie Geist, who has a podcast called The Sunday Sit Down, his, that week uh, he interviewed Jack Harlow, and I decided to listen to it, and he just could not hold a conversation. And I was like, oh, no. If this guy can't hold a conversation, how can he hold a monologue? How can he hold a sketch? This is going to be bad. And it turned out to be, I would say, not the best, but the most exciting show. I think that there was just a lot of excitement while watching the show. And I, I, I think some of that has to do with him, some, some of it not, obviously. But definitely, I, 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 uh, I definitely treated him wrong in the preparation up to the show. Yeah, I, I would think so also. I mean, I, I always like to say, and I was 
you know, talking to a lot of people in our community who are kind of nervous about it. If somebody's never hosted the show before, I think we always got to give them a chance. That's just my opinion. Unless they're like a really bad person, <laughs> then I don't, we have no evidence of Jack Harlow being a bad person. But, you know, maybe he's very good at sketch comedy. I think he was good at sketch comedy. I just don't know that he was like, he's not like this amazing host we have to see back. But I did a serviceable job. So, Thomas, what do you think? How did Jack Harlow do in the end? Coming in, I was actually pretty skeptical about Jack Harlow. But I think it was you, John, that brought up a good point that his personality isn't so big that the show might revolve around him and maybe derail some things. I felt that way with Megan Thee Stallion, that I think her personality is such that it was too much about her, I think, that episode. But this one, you know, Jack Harlow, I think he was easy to write around. He was like a fresh piece of clay that the show can kind of mold. They can sculpt into justin timberlake off of memory <laughs> if they if they wanted to and just you know i think i think he kind of was a chameleon in a way and fit in and it was nice that he didn't have to dominate the show uh with his personality because to james point maybe he doesn't have much of a big personality but that i think that played to his benefit and the episode's benefit uh for sure and i was i was pleasantly surprised and just a psa rewatch the episodes because I always enjoy the episodes on second watch and I was I thought it was okay watching it live Saturday night but I rewatched it earlier this week and I'm firmly on board with this was a pretty good this was a really good episode Oh, no question. I think that, you know, a lot of people who are not in our community would say that SNL is just meant to be watched with this live experience, but it's really not. I think you can get so much more out of these episodes by rewatching them. So totally agree. And that's been obviously my process for doing all of these podcasts. But yeah, so that's one storyline this week. You know, we obviously had a couple bigger ones. Let's talk about quickly uh, Bobby Moynihan's return to the show. I think that was like general excitement, like crazy. People were going nuts. And uh, James, were you a big Bobby guy? Man, I, I I hate whenever someone says, I, I don't like best cast member. I don't like that phrase. I do have a favorite, and it's a tie between Phil Hartman and Bobby Moynihan. I, 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 when I heard, when I watched that Bobby, uh, when, I, when I saw him come on, I was excited because I do think he is, like John tweeted the other day, he's one of the most underrated performers that this show has had. Uh, to have that longevity and to have someone who isn't a star. I feel like a lot of people think to be a great cast member, you have to be a star. And I don't think so. I think in order to be a great cast member, you just need to have a good consistency. You got to have a good record. And he always killed. And, you know, I don't think he truly got the respect he deserved. And I think him coming out as John Cockle and him getting a huge applause, you know, I, I, I think that, that was heartwarming to see. Yeah, I, I, you know, when I said underrated, I really just was trying to think, like, I, I said he's the most underrated ever. I can't think of another cast member that sort of fits into the description of his time at the show. Like, I can't think of somebody who basically joins not at the end of an era, but really in the latter part. Maybe Mike Myers would be the one that I would think maybe would apply to this, that, that you know, just thinking back. But, like, somebody who joins near the end does a very good job at fitting into this existing cast and then sort of leads the next group. It's something that was really fascinating to watch and I don't think it's talked about enough. So Thomas, how do you feel about Bobby coming back and the things that we're discussing? I love that Bobby's getting his due now because I think he got lost in the shuffle. He yeah. had the misfortune maybe of, of, of being castmates with 
bigger personalities and more name recognition like Bill Hader, Jason Sudeikis, Fred Armisen. He came in when those guys were already getting established. And then another big personality, or Kristen Wiig too, I should say. And then another big personality like Kate McKinnon sort of overshadowed a lot of what Bobby was doing. But I loved it in real time. I was a huge Bobby fan and I felt at the time that not enough people were talking about him. So I love the warm reception that, that he got when he came back. I loved your tweet about him being underrated and I don't necessarily, I don't always love talking about overrated and underrated, but I think it's appropriate with Bobby. I think you're absolutely right. And I, I was ecstatic uh, when he came back and I just love seeing the outpouring of, of just love and warmth for, for Bobby. Yeah, Thomas, I'm glad nobody asked who was the most overrated cast member of all time. That we wouldn't have to, we wouldn't Ooh, be boy, like, we could do a whole no. episode on that now. <laughs> yeah, a page in the super fans. Um, so yeah, let's, uh, so, so that, you know, to me was obviously a huge storyline. And then the other one was obviously bringing in Tom Hanks for a Halloween episode. And we got this return of David as pumpkin. So we have some questions about that coming up. So I'm not going to get into that too deep right now. But before we get to our questions, and I'd always like to ask our patrons if there was a sketch that they they just really loved or felt like they're going to remember from this episode a lot. So James, what about you? Any sketches that you just like stood out to you from this episode? Um, you know, I, I'm going to go with the AA meeting. I, there was, there was just something I, I knew that when Jack Harlow said, I have an idea for, it, I knew it was like, Oh, okay. Here it's, I know exactly how this is going to be played out. I've seen this hundreds of times. I know this how this is going to play out. But I think what's different with this particular sketch is that the cast performing it killed. I there was no one person over the other. There was no like everyone did their own thing and they did it respectably, which is much better than you could have, you know, if it was, you know, done in a different era or even if it was done a year ago. I you know, so I, I, I respect how it was played and, you know, I also just having Tom Hanks come in and having that sketch early in the rundown definitely set up the tone of, are we getting David S. Pumpkins? Definitely. I, you know, was thought this was really interesting last night on the, by the number show, Mike said that this was his favorite sketch from the season. And it got me to thinking, or got, I was thinking about this, like, I don't know what my favorite sketch from the season is. And then last season, by this time, we had Mattress Store, which was in episode three. And then we had the teacher sketch with Jason and Ego, which was episode four. And we like those two were generally regarded as like nine out of tens or tens out of tens. I don't know if we've had a 10 out of 10 sketch so far this season, which has been interesting because I think two of the episodes have been pretty good. Two of them um, have been like, okay, I would say. But the, you know, the episode is the season, I would say, has probably been a little bit inconsistent. That's the general view. But I can't find a sketch that I'm like, wow, this is going to be a standout memorable sketch from season 48 yet, though AA meeting was very good. Thomas, let me get your thoughts on that. And if there's any other sketches from this episode that you want to make sure you felt are, you know, something that stood out to you. Yeah. If I'm looking for like a 10 out of 10 sketch, I'll be comparing it to monkey judge <laughs> from last season. As far as live sketches go, I think that was my favorite, one of my favorites of this era. Uh, my favorite live sketch of, of the night was the AA meeting. I think that was super clever. I think that was Jack Harlow's best performance of the entire evening. Honestly, I think his, 
his cadence and his delivery was perfect for that sketch, whether or not he did it on purpose or whether the writing and the sketch fit his tone. Um, I don't know, but I do know that that's what I enjoyed him the most in that night. So that was, that was perfect, uh, a perfect thing to bring up uh, James. Um, the one that I wanted to talk about is a pre-tape. It was the 2024 uh, horror movie pre-tape, which I thought was just so well done. And I think it perfectly captured feelings uh i know myself i've i've ruminated back and forth uh you know are, are we back to biden is there a better choice oh my gosh he's 79 like all this everything that they they ruminated on in that sketch is something that that i know i've talked to people online about my wife and i have talked about a lot of that stuff stuff so when we when she and i were watching it together after it ended we just looked at each other and like man that's like a, almost a dramatized version of a conversation that we've had <laughs> about this very subject so it just tapped into that so perfectly when punky said look at the wall and it said bernie and blood on the wall like just there was just little touches like that my favorite moment of the night was when punky uh calculated 79 plus two on her calculator on her laptop that so, was like my moment of the night that's what that that just got me so i i just really really uh, love that sketch yeah what would you guys uh we'll, we'll start off our questions in just a second but here john schneider comes in with the first question what would you say is not your favorite sketch from the season but like objectively what you believe is the best sketch of the season so far i know i don't put you on the spot because we didn't have this as a question but i'm just curious your opinions james what do you think i am so what i do is after an after i watch an episode i i rate it on my phone and then i calculate calculate uh the the average for that episode so I, it's it's out of five stars and i just calculate it so i actually have it pulled up on my and i can just if it's all right i can just read off the ones that i i, I have given a few five out of five i have given a okay. few five. i don't know but i like you said i don't know which one's my favorite i have the manning cast cold open okay from the first episode i have new cast advice from the brendan gleason episode and then I have just weekend update from this episode that from this weekend, I thought weekend update was really strong and that's it. Like I don't have, okay. Yeah. There's anything else. I'm glad you said that. Cause I was going to say, I think my, the objectively the best sketch for the season might be the cold opening in the premiere, which is crazy. That's like, you know, you would never bet on that in Vegas, but Thomas, do you have an opinion on this? Yeah, I had I had the cold open the Manning cast from the Miles Teller episode, the the classroom sketch that Ego led at the end of the Megan Thee Stallion episode. I think that was oddly placed, and I know there's dozens of reasons why sketches placed where they are, but I think the writing in that was super clever. Uh, the new cast advice might be the one that that has left an, an imprint on me the most. I think so. I'd probably have to say that's the most memorable and possibly my favorite of the season right so i see all of those and i think what's going to be interesting in these next two episodes for this run is will we get a consensus best sketch of the season because i don't think we have one yet i think there's sketches we all like we all think may be there right now but i think that spot is fluid so let's watch out for that over the next couple of episodes Okay, thanks to everybody who sent in their questions this week. Gentlemen, do you have the questions in front of you? Okay, 
Perfect. Let's get going. Let's take our first question from our friend Blood Meridian, who would like to know, of the four featured players, whom do you think is making their mark so far? Not only in terms of getting roles, but also in terms of carving a niche for themselves in both type of a role and as a specialty player. Thanks, as always, for these shows. Thanks for checking them out, Blood. So again, so who do we think is making a mark so far, so far and uh, building a niche for themselves? James, I'll start with you on this one. I don't want to seem biased. However, I will say Michael Longfellow. I, I got to see him this summer because I loved him. I saw a set on Conan, thought he was hilarious. Went to go see him this summer. Again, didn't think he is a sketch actor, but the past four episodes, he has proved himself to be a reliable supporting player, which I think is more important than, I would say, having a standout sketch in like your first couple of episodes and then not getting anything else for a while. I think it's more important to be a reliable supporting player. And that's, that's mostly what he's been. And it just, he just has this sense of, I, someone compared him to Bill Hader and I saw that resemblance and I was like, Oh, like that, that kind of makes sense. Like he just, he, he kind of fits not out, not an impression role, but just in that role of like, he can do something in a way that, is just laughable like him in the promo pro, promo um this week him dressed as a baby uh, that was hilarious and then they did uh let me just explain that for any of the listeners who may not have caught the promo just so they know what that is so there is a promo that they released now they've been doing this every single week since the gleason week in the middle of the week which is a pre-produced promo unlike the post musical guest and one cast member standing out there and telling a joke about their name it's now something that's like a little sketch a mini sketch maybe for 30 seconds to a minute and in this particular sketch for the amy schumer week we did have michael longfellow up here as amy schumer's baby so and it was really great so james sorry go ahead yeah, and there was also, they did a backstage video where it was Jeff Probst talking to the newbies, like a very survivor. And it moves over, and it's all them, and Longfellow is wearing a bald cap because he, yeah, I think, because he had to uh, play Pennywise. And so they're all just, so they're like acting in it, and then Longfellow says, I didn't catch any of that, and they all turn, and they just see him in the bald cap, and they all just lose it. And I just, I, I don't know, I don't know if any of the other newbies could have just like, had had them lose it in just like the bald cap look which is something that everyone you see but it, 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 the way he looked in it was hilarious and i i gotta go with longfellow okay thomas do you concur or do you have another one you're gonna pick i actually had i had two that immediately came to mind michael longfellow was one of them so that was well said everything that you said i agree with but the other one and i'm not seeing it in the chat here uh, so it might surprise some people, but it's Molly Carney actually has has really stood out to me. And I don't know, I, I don't know if I could pinpoint what their niche is right now, but I, I I think I know more about them. I know what kind of what kind of character they're comfortable playing, and no, I I just, I just get a feeling like I know who they are. I'm talking about like the 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 new cast advice sketch, which we all loved, Molly led that sketch with some comic relief from Marcelo too. the AA meeting sketch. I think Molly's delivery was spot on there. They had the first line basically in a response to Jack Harlow saying that he had an idea for a Pixar movie. And then Molly uh, chimed in and just had spot on comedic timing within that sketch. And I think the Halloween red carpet sketch when, when Molly was just saying Tom Brady 
and just acting drunk and everything. So I can't quite pinpoint, I guess, give a word to what their niche is, but I feel like I know Molly and there's something there that, that they've been able to carve out for themselves. Definitely. I don't know if it's because we have seen the other three on update, but I do feel like we haven't seen enough of Molly yet for sure for me. I think that they're doing a lot in this moments that they've been given, but I don't know that I feel so strongly about Molly just yet, though I do see their potential like crazy. But I will say about Michael Longfellow, and, and I think Marcelo and Devin have been doing a, a great job as well. I mean, a really just a very strong class of rookies so far. But with regards to Michael Longfellow, just personally, he has like hit my funny bone in a way that, again, like not many people do on this show. I think Andrew Dismukes does it. Sarah Sherman does it. And it's the weird. I just I really just love like when people are weird. And we haven't we talked in the preseason about getting Andrew and Longfellow like together in sketches. They were together in that headshot sketch for a brief moment. But we really haven't seen them completely explore like getting all these weird people in this group together. And I think that he is such a fun addition to the cast. Like the fact that the cast is just a touch smaller this year, which we haven't really gotten to talk about very much, but going from 21 to 17 is like a really big deal. And that we have at least Andrew, at least uh, Sarah and at least Michael Longfellow who are just freaking weirdos. Like that's a good percentage of the cast that you need. And it's sort of proportional to what we've seen in the previous eras with Forte being like the weird one to come and do crazy stuff. So I really find that I'm enjoying what I get to see from him. And I'll say on top of that, Sean Grant, who was on a roundtable this past Monday, he knows Longfellow. He's talked to him. He's done stand up with him and stuff like that. He's like, he is not this guy at all. Like, so, you know, what's great to, to hear that is that he's sort of like method in the way that he does is weird. Like he has this like secret weirdness. And those are the types of weird people that I absolutely love because then when they're out on stage, they get to like bring it all out and put it out there for the crowd. And I'm excited about it. I do think Michael Longfellow has seemed more comfortable, probably the most comfortable of the four. His update appearance, he was just like super calm and collected. I know that's his persona, but he didn't, didn't even seem like he was that nervous. Devin was, to me, very nervous on update. Understandably, I'd be shaking if I was on update. But Michael Longfellow just seems very comfortable in his skin and sketches and in that one update appearance. Yeah. Okay, let's take this next question from our friend Ken George Jones. Ken would like to know, or would like to tell us that cold opens seem to generate much of SNL's media coverage. In an episode like Harlow's, which had the proper return or had the return of a popular alumni, a host, recurring characters, plus several buzzy pieces like the Kanye and the 2024 pre-tapes, you had many people saying SNL takes on Republican candidates as the headlines. This is something I think many viewers current and lapsed are fatigued of hearing about. Do you think the choice of using a cold open like this is counterproductive for episodes which are meant to be part of a new era of the show or meant to appeal to some of those lapsed viewers? So very interesting question here, Ken. Thomas, what do you think? I think, yeah, thank you, Ken, for the question. I think it can be actually counterproductive to make content decisions that are based on whether or not you're going to get buzz. And I understand they still need to promote the show and they need viewers and everything. But if the, if they don't have much to say, <laughs> then the, the buzz or the attention is only going to take you so far. And it might actually be counterproductive if you don't have much to say 
and you get a lot of attention and then it's negative. I'm thinking of like the Sesame Street, the Joe when Pete Davidson was Joe Rogan. And that was that was a mess. And it got them attention, but not in a great way. So I think it could be counterproductive if you're if that's all you're looking for is buzz. And I think a lot of times SNL can rely a little much with their cold opens on like rip from the headlines sorts of cold opens without much of a point of view. They just sort of regurgitate what's already been said. As far as what their goal is with this new era, I think just as long as it's, it can be political as long as they have a perspective and if it doesn't just feel obligatory, uh, which sometimes I think can happen uh, with cold opens from this era. I agree. Let's talk about the structure of this cold open, which is one host in Heidi who hasn't always been the host or anchor of a cold open in that sense. Then three different people coming on. That's it. Three. And then obviously we got the solo live from New York. So that is huge in my opinion. I know that wasn't addressing Ken's question directly, but the differences between a cold open like this from a political perspective where they're actually just talking about three candidates versus what we got in 47 and 46 most recently, which was them bringing on, okay, who can do an impression of this person? Let's bring out this random celebrity who's kind of Republican. Like that wasn't this. And that was actually pretty good, even though this may have been my least favorite cold open of the season so far. I think, I think the structure there was there to have elements of something very good. James, we'd love to get your thoughts on Ken's question. Yeah, yeah, Thomas put it pretty well. I mean, to be honest, like, I don't think these cold opens get, I, I would I would say, get the attention. Yes, they get tons of articles, but I think that's just how, like, I would say the media has been with SNL. I feel like, you know, it's ever since Alec Baldwin played Trump, it's like, well, we got to make an article about this. I, but really, when you come down to what I think actual people think of this, I haven't seen many people like this, like like actually like this kind of political cold, cold opens. Now, I will say that the one that we had this week, much better than the ones from the past couple of years. I think it's better to you know have it short, have it just one person interview three people. But that being said, if you look at the impressions the impressions were not that good. So I feel like it's sort of like what Thomas said. You, you got to, if they are, they're being counterproductive in the sense that we don't want them, but SNL, and I feel like, not like they're paired with the media, but I feel like that sort of article clickbait thing, they want that. And also I do feel like when, people watch these sketches like you said it's for I, I especially last season and before that it was for two reasons one it was cringy they had a cringy take it, it, it didn't work the other reason i would say is they watched it for who's in it kate mckinnon ad bryant those big stars that are no longer on the show yes it's a political cold open but i don't think you know someone's seen like oh, uh, they're making fun of Trump. I don't think someone's clicking on it and saying, oh man, I really hope Michael Longfellow plays Adam Schiff in here. Like, I don't I, I, I don't think anyone's clicking it for that as much. You no, know, I just praised Longfellow, but I, you know, I, people watched it because they wanted to see Kate doing Giuliani. And that's not happening now. And maybe it'll happen soon and they don't beat it to death. But, um, those were the two main reasons I think those cold opens got attention. 
Yeah, I would say, you know, to more directly answer Ken's question from my perspective, I would say that SNL really sort of has no choice, in my opinion, to cover something political at this point. Maybe the point of view isn't exactly always perfect, but, you know, they have to do this where we're approaching the midterms and, you know, the political talk is just dominating general media. And I'll pull back the curtain on what, you know, goes down here at the Saturday Night Network when we're trying to produce and, uh, you know, get our content out to people. Oftentimes, I'll sit down with Nicole and we'll talk about, okay, like what from the episode do we want to promote as our discussion points and our analysis and stuff like that. And there was a very interesting debate that I had with Nicole this week where we were talking about, should we promote David S. Pumpkin's return, which was to me the biggest storyline of the night from an SNL perspective, or should we promote, you know, you know, the Kanye stuff or the Republican or the, the Republican cold open or the Democratic uh, pre-tape that we got. And we ended up going with David S. Pumpkin because like I had a gut feeling about it, but I definitely can see in the clicks and the views of some of the clips that we post and stuff like that. It's, it's a game changer from a journalistic perspective to post uh, political media. You know, just more people are interested, more people want to know what SNL has to say about politics at this point, even if it's like from a hate watching perspective. So I can understand that, you know, if you Google SNL at 105 in the morning, it's going to be SNL goes after Republicans and this because that's what makes sense for the media to do something like that. And it's not always the way that like I wish it was. I wish the story could be from a journalistic perspective, always like Bobby Moynihan returns, David S. Pumpkins is back, like all that stuff. That to me is like fun in our community. But for like larger people who aren't SNL watchers and watch it all the time they want to know like the political stuff because that's sort of like snl has turned into either like they they're completely against what snl is saying about politics or they're kind of supportive of it and like you're either like it's a hate love thing at this point unfortunately because politics is like so polarizing at this point okay let's take this next question from jeremy jeremy uh, asks is bobby moynihan the greatest cast member to have never hosted the show so thanks for the question jeremy james i know you're a big bobby guy so let me ask you is he the greatest cast member to have never hosted snl yes next question uh no um you know i yeah i, I him and i'm going to throw out another name uh, that I don't think it's enough recognition um, and didn't have the career, uh, as big as a career as uh, I guess mo pe most people would hope. I'm going to go with Tim Meadows. I'm going to go with Tim Meadows. I think when you look at season 20 to season 21, Tim Meadows, I think, had the biggest jump arc, jump, jump arc of any cast member from only being used in OJ sketches to singing live from new york i believe the first four episodes of the show and it makes it even crazier when you think that tim was fired during that that summer and then brought back because they couldn't find another black male cast member and i as love as much as i love bobby i gotta go with tim okay thomas what's your opinion yeah, Tim Meadows is such a great answer. And James, you know your SNL history. That was awesome. I love, love, love Tim Meadows. I'm seeing a lot of good answers in the chat on a gas or Chris Parnell. But Jeremy, I want to thank you for asking this question because John knows that if I get invited onto a podcast, I'm going to try to shoehorn Vanessa Bear into the conversation somehow. If you invite me on a basketball podcast, I'm going to talk about Vanessa Bear at some point in that podcast. So obviously my answer is Vanessa Bear 
is the greatest cast member to have never hosted the show. And to, to your point about Bobby Moynihan, John, about being underrated for their era, I think Vanessa Bear falls into that category too. I think Vanessa Bear needs to be looked at as an all-time great cast member. There were so many home runs and triples that Vanessa hit in her time on the show that she just never really got talked about enough as much as she should have when she was on the show. And I think she's one of the all-time greats. I hope she comes back. I think there's a small chance this year she'll come back. She has her Showtime show that's going to have a season two. So I'm hoping the show asks her, SNL asks her to come back and host. But uh, Vanessa Bear, cross, we cross our fingers for that. Yeah, Vanessa Bear uh, is my answer, the greatest cast member to have never hosted the show. Okay. For me... And I think these are all great picks. I, I'm just going to be, I, I, know this, I don't want this to sound like a cop out because it's kind of too soon, but Kate McKinnon is the obvious answer for the greatest cast member to have never hosted SNL at this point, I would think, right? Just objectively, if you're going to put a greatest cast member list, I think she has the highest average of somebody who's like never hosted a show in terms of overall career arc and rating. But, you know, it, she's only been gone for four episodes. So I, I know that's not the serious answer that Jeremy is looking for. But I will say uh, a name that hasn't gotten brought up tonight that I think has to be under consideration would be Kevin Nealon. I think that he had a very strong, you know, time on the show. I think a lot of his contemporaries got a chance to host the show and come back. And I don't know that I think he was one of the people that was probably overshadowed. So I would say that would be one. And then, of course, the late great Jan Hooks never got to host the show. So that would be somebody I would think of as well. And of course, you know, I, again, I, I, I'm still at the belief and I'm just throwing out this crazy idea. I think I've said it before on the podcast. I believe that season 50, the like living members of the original cast will all come back and host the show together. I think that's going to happen at some point. So I think you'll get, you know, the ones that we're talking about. I see uh, Jane and Lorraine in the cast in, in the chat and stuff like that. And I believe they'll, they will be a part of whatever celebration happens in a couple of years. So that would be fun as well. James, I see your mind is, is, is pondering. And thinking you, about said, you, you said, and you, you just said that they'll all just come back and host an episode. Isn't that just an anniversary special? Technically, yeah, it's not hosting, but yeah, you you just wait. You just wait for what the what's going to look like in two years. I think we're getting all greatest hosts of all time hosting the show. I think we're getting all former alumni. I think it's going to be a year's worth of celebration, in my opinion. So, Steven um, Seagal, please come back. <laughs> So we'll see. We'll see. Um, Martin Lawrence, maybe. Um, so let's uh, let's take this next question from our friend Eric, who joined us last week. Eric wanted to know: uh, This week we saw the return of Bobby, a member of what many consider a more transition or perhaps lost era of him, Vanessa, Nassim, Taryn, and Jay, cast members who played their part but were never the stars and have made rare appearances post tenure. Given that this is a transition season, do you think a similar transition cast of newer vets exists already and will give way to the dominance of the new cast? Or do you think that the transition will allow the newer vets to become stars of the show for a few years? Thomas, let me get your opinion on this. All right. Yeah. Thank you, Eric. And I'm, I'm trying to, in real time, I'm trying to parse out kind of the definitions here of transition cast and everything like that. But I think. So, so I here, let might... me, let me, let me just clarify just to make sure I understand this correctly. If it's okay. Um, I think that he's, what he's asking is, is like the newer veterans, the people like, like the Heidi's and the mm -hmm. egos and stuff like that. People have been around for a few years that are not the newbies. Are they going to be part of a lost era potentially like we saw previously, or are they going to have a few years to set themselves up as stars? 
I think if we're talking people like Ego and Heidi, I think they're actually going to have time to position themselves as the stars of the show. I actually think the transition cast was maybe people like Beck Bennett, Kyle Mooney, Chris Red, Melissa Villasenor, kind of that era, because they coincided too much with Kate McKinnon and Cecily and AD and that group. So maybe they got lost in that shuffle, but then they didn't stick around after Kate left and obviously Cecily's still here. So I think, again, Beck, Kyle, Chris Red, part of that uh, transition cast to me. So I think the Heidi's ego, uh, maybe Chloe fits into that. I think they're actually positioned to be the stars of the show uh, for maybe a handful of years to come. James, what do you think? I mean, it's hard to say. It's it's really hard to say. You know, again, I think you can look at many people on the show, you know, who had a great tenure on the show and then maybe got lost in their career. So, I, you know, I, I think Heidi and Ego, they definitely have the chance to become popular actresses um, once they leave the show. Mikey Day, I think, you know, he definitely has a career with Shreder Seidel writing um, reboots of Christmas movies that aren't that great <laughs> sorry um but you know I, it, it's hard to say it really is hard to say and i do agree with thomas that like I, there is sort of a lost cast that i would say i think once time goes by we are going to say like man remember melissa and alex and chris like oh man those guys they they don't get in and that's i i wouldn't call it a transition cast as Eric puts it, but I would just say, and again, I, I, I know Thomas doesn't like this, but underrate, underrated cast members. Like, you know, that's, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, like, I think it's a good answer. I think that what, they were talking about this in the By the Number show last night, I couldn't agree more, that this is felt like an ensemble cast. And I think that if we walk away at the end of season 48 saying that this year was an ensemble, there's no stars, then they it will feel like a transition era because we're not going to remember it in the sense of like, oh, this was, um, you know, Chloe's cast or type of thing, the way we would remember it being like Kate and Cecily in 80s or something like that of the last few years. I don't know that, you know, like I think it was Bill Simmons who was talking about like, this is the first time in a very long time that there's no like real star of the show. And SNL is a star making place. Now, does like somebody like Bowen Yang become a star and ends up be becoming the star of the show in that case? Like, are we going to look back a couple of years from now and say, this was the start of Bowen, you know, becoming the dominant player on the show. If that's the case, then I think that some of these people will get lost in the mix. But the question is, is like, I, don't, I haven't seen enough evidence yet to know like which of these people are leading the pack to say that we are in the Bowen Yang era or the Chloe Feynman era or the, you know, like, punky johnson era ego wodum era like i haven't seen that yet we've seen episodes we've seen moments but they haven't done it on a consistent basis yet where i think we have enough information to know which of the last few years are transitional pieces and which are the stars of the future okay let's take this next question from kylie so i'll go to you james on this one first kylie leonard wants to know what could snl have done with david pumpkins to spice up this sketch a little bit so this was a question i think we addressed throughout the week where we felt that the david s pumpkin sketch was paint by numbers to the first one i liked that personally a lot of people didn't so for you how do you feel like it could have been spiced up if at all 
I wouldn't call it cheating, but when I like to write stuff, short pieces, sketches, whatever, when I'm writing that stuff, I like to cheat a little bit and make the ending meta. When you make the ending meta, it solves all your problems. It really does. And I feel like if they had made this meta when like David S. Pumpkins comes out and Andrew and Ago and Jack are Oh, it's oh okay. It's 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 Tom Hanks. It's, it's I, I they could have they could have done so much with that. And they could you know, but that's my opinion. I I you know, they could have done other stuff that to to make the sketch better. Again, I, I think I don't think it was there as more of like David S. Pumpkins part two. I think it was more of like, all right, you guys want to see Tom Hanks do David S. Pumpkins. Here it is. Shut up. So I, yeah. So I, either one of those. Thomas, what do you think? Well, first of all, Kylie, thank you for the question. And Monette pointed out in the chat, but I want to say that we see you with the pumpkin spice wordplay. That was awesome. <laughs> Good job there. Um, I'm in agreement with John about, I don't mind the, the same beats or like the paint by numbers types of things. We saw that with Stefan. We saw that with what's up with that. I think it matters how you use those beats and what kind, what types of jokes and different things that you put in those. And I think this David S. Pumpkin sketch had enough different types of jokes within the same beats for me to feel satisfied. But if you want to spice things up a little bit, I was thinking maybe do the sketch from the perspective of David S. Pumpkins and the skeletons waiting for the doors to open and then they go entertain the riders in in the in the ride so maybe they're I and mean, this might ruin this character may not but maybe david s pumpkins of the skeletons are just having mundane kind of funny conversation or whatever and then they're like oh, okay okay it's our turn and then they the doors open and then they do their thing and they go back and then they just kind of talk, talk normally again i don't know i only i'm only about four pages into this sketch in my word document I don't have it all fleshed out, but I think that could be an interesting take on David Pumpkins' is reverse the perspective of the sketch. Wow, what a crazy idea. I love this. This is, uh, this is fascinating. <laughs> to, to play off of that, I, it would be funny if, like, like again, like it's like their, not first view perspective, but it just show them just, like, behind. And it just, again, like, just, again, like, I think big character, like, when the door is open, it's big Tom Hanks, David S. Pumpkins energy. And then when the door is closed, they're chain smoking. <laughs> yeah, they're taking drags of a cigarette. They're like, oh, yeah. God. How many more of these? So they maybe reference, like, that, you know, the writers are saying, how much more of David Pumpkins? Maybe they have the same question, like, how much more do we have to do tonight? Like, I don't know. It could be, I think yeah, that would they're be they're like, interesting. They're like the uh, the Italian guys from the Vinny Vedecci sketch, where like, they're just, like, smoking <laughs> on the side. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's really great. And I, I, I forget who said it on the podcast sometime this week, where someone said that, you know, when he said uh, this line, David Pumpkins is taking it one day at a time. That that was like a reference to the AA meeting, which I think was like a pretty funny idea. Well, I mean, who knows? But um, well, I would say I really liked the sketch writing. My only change that I wish they had made was I wish it wasn't an elevator sketch. I wish that it was, they, they could have done the exact same sketch, which would have been fine. It would have been very to the effect of like uh, any Kristen Wiig era character that's, you know, just basically the same thing, but in a different environment. But I would instead lead the surprise to be the arrival of David S. Pumpkins because the lines don't bother me, but I didn't like that the surprise was ruined and expected. So what I would have suggested would be like perhaps something to the effect of like kids going trick-or-treating and ringing people's doorbells. And then one of the, behind one of the doors is David S. Pumpkins. Hear, hear me out. 
you combine two sketches, David S. Pumpkins in an AA meeting. Oh, okay. Do you see this is very, very much like the PDD and five timers club from last week, last season. I think SNL is going to be getting a packet from the three of us (laughs) shortly. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, for sure. Uh, And for anybody listening, I know we're not the writers of the show. We're just having some fun. (laughs) Okay. So let's take this question from at Lynn bumps on Instagram. Can you explain the Joker sketch? I liked Jeff Probst, but that was it. Thomas, want to take a crack at this one? Yes, uh, this sketch was fascinating to me. Uh, It wasn't my favorite, but there was a kernel of a a premise there that I really loved. And I think what it suffered from for me was the accents, I think, clouded it. Because you had one weird thing, which was the best man wanted to be at the wedding as the Joker. You didn't need to put another weird thing on top of that, because to me, that takes away the impact of what was already a weird premise. So I think a lot of people, when talking about sketch, like to use the, uh, you know, like to say putting a hat on top of a hat. And to me, that's what this was, is you already had the weird premise. You didn't need the weird accents because then it just took away from the weird premise. So I would have, I think I would have, if you would have cut the accents, I think the whole idea of it's Halloween and the best man wants to go to his friend's wedding uh, as the Joker. And then as the escalation was there, so they, you know, I think the, the people at the wedding treating a very silly topic super seriously and voting on it and having opinions on it all worked well for me. So there was good escalation. I, the Jeff Probst, I'm not a survivor fan. That was fine. Uh, But I think there was good escalation. The beats were there. It was pretty witty, but I think, just combining two weird elements kind of canceled each other out. And just, I think it, it didn't, the sketch didn't have the impact that it could have, uh, in my opinion. James, what do you think? Man, this felt like a sketch from season 11. I could totally see the Michael Hall and Andrew's role. It just felt weird, man. Uh, I, you know, it's definitely the type of sketch where it depends in in theory, it depends more on the performer than it does on the writing. You know, okay, the writing's not that great, but if I say Joker, God, I've not been able to get it right all week. Joker, is that it? Uh, it Joker. was this. But I said I was going to dress like Joker. Ah, okay. What, what Joker? It, you got it. If you, okay, awesome. All right, finally, approval from my parents. If I think that it you know the writing is weak but if you know if i perform it correctly it'll make up for the loose writing and as much as i love andrew it didn't work you know and normally this is someone who does have great energy and can you know with the way he acts can change uh how something is written but it just didn't work here and that's you know all sketch all these sketches are just experiments you know we're just experimenting with whatever and sometimes you're going to experiment with something and it's it, it just doesn't turn out well and i like uh, like thomas said there was a kernel of something here but i i just don't know and there was a hat on a hat and the jeff probes ending when when i saw jeff probes i was like what was he truly in this sketch at dress rehearsal or was he in a different sketch and that got cut and were, they were like, well, Jeff Probst is here. We got to use him in something. 
throw him at the Jauker sketch. So, uh, yeah, I, I love Andrew, but it just, for whatever reasons, it didn't work. Yeah, I think to answer your question, I think that what they were going for here was just simply that Andrew's character was, you know, interrupting a normal proceeding and they were just trying to decide as simple as that, whether that he should just maintain in costume or not. And But I, I agree with all the hat on the hat concepts that my panel here has been discussing. I will say that I think that the problem with this sketch, and again, I love Jeff Probst. It was very exciting for me to see him. But the problem with the sketch here was I feel like Andrew lost control of the sketch. He wasn't driving the car the way that he normally does in sketches that work for him. So like all the sketches that you can think of over the last couple of years that have been like him being extremely weird, but working like the Beanie Baby sketch, or let's talk about the headshots from a couple of weeks ago. These are sketches that I feel like he is driving the action. But here, I really felt like the pacing of the sketch was dictated by the people who were asked or the directing of like, what do you think about this? Like, what what is your vote? And then Jeff Probst comes in as another narrator and is casting things. So like James Austin Johnson, then going to Sarah and then going to Chloe and stuff like that. Like, I felt like the action wasn't through the lens of the Joker character. And I think if we saw the perspective of Andrew as Joker as the lead role here, I think that changes the outlook of the sketch overall. Because so to me, it felt like Andrew wrote a sketch and then took the back seat on it. And I don't think that works when you're trying to be really weird. Does that make sense, guys? Yeah, that's, that makes total sense to me. Yeah, and I never thought about it until you just said that. But I think, yeah, if Andrew would have reined it in, uh, yeah, that, that's such a good point. And, and by the way, Andrew's probably my favorite cast member. So I say Thanks. this out of love and respect for what he could do. And I think he's with this premise, Andrew still could have made it work with some, with some tweaks. He's still my favorite cast member. So this is just, you know, spitball. Now going off of that, and I just want to know, would it have worked if it was like from last season, one of those big cast pieces, what do you think it would have worked if instead of focusing on like all this other stuff, if it was like, well, let's get everyone who's here at the wedding. Let what what do they think? And it's you know some of them dressed as Joker or whatever, and some of that. Do do you guys think that would have worked like that? No. What do we think? Well, I I, I don't know because. Again, I, I think that maybe having more Jokers in the room, and I think I joked about how if Jeff Probst had come out as Joker, I think that would have made the sketch better. But I think that if the, um, I think if there were more people dressed like Joker, it would have been then Andrew then taking control of the room again and being like, see, you know, everybody else came as Joker. And I think that that would have led to what I'm sort of talking about, which is him taking the, as Mike Murray would put it, the A role in the sketch. And I think just what happened here was we were viewing the room from the perspective of everybody else except for Andrew. The only line, which I think was the best line in the whole sketch, was this. And you know I've been wanting to dress like Joker ever since last Halloween when I saw a guy dressed like Joker. I said, make sure I'm going to dress like Joker. And that was the only extended period of time in the sketch where we got to see it from Andrew's perspective. And I think his point of view is so different than every other cast member we've had on the show, maybe except for Michael Longfellow at this point. So it's almost a shame to take that away from him in a sketch that's supposed to be driven by him. All right, let's take this next question that came in from our friend Manette, who wants to know, is Tom Hanks done with hosting SNL? So Tom Hanks, a 10-time host officially with the, you know, counting the at-home episode. So would love to know, James, do you think Tom Hanks is done hosting Saturday Live? Um, that's a good question. You know, I could see him 
pulling a Steve Martin season 34 and, you know, just not, not flipping away entirely, but, you know, realize I'm done hosting. That being said, he's had a pretty big year. He was in Elvis. Uh, he has a new movie coming out, I think in December. Am I correct? Uh, not sure, but, uh, I, I, I could, if I could see him being convinced, uh, you know, to wanting to come back and maybe host the Christmas episode this season. I feel I did. I, when the season started and we had lost all these cast members, I felt that, they really need strong hosts like Tom Hanks and Adam Driver to come and really, I I would say, just make the cast look good, you know, because everyone at that, and still even now, just coming after the cast, oh, it's not as good, blah, 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 blah. And I do think that having Tom Hanks as host will ben- benefit this specific cast. I think out of any cast that he's hosted during. I really do think that if there were ever a time for Tom Hanks to come and host and help the show, this is it. Thomas, what do you think? My gut feeling, Monet, is that Tom Hanks is done with hosting SNL. Ellis, though, did bring up a good point in the chat that we do have a season 50 not too far away. So if Lauren in the show has something special planned at any point during that season, maybe he could come back. I get the feeling that he likes being an SNL legend. He likes doing cameos. I get the feeling that that's fun for him. Maybe an entire week's worth of prep. Um, maybe you know, not so much. Uh, one instance where I can see him coming back is as like an emergency host, which I guess technically um, SNL does count it. He was like the at home. He's one of the at home show hosts. Uh, he did appear with Paul Rudd uh, in that weird uh, episode in December. Um, so I can see him maybe being like an emergency host if they really need somebody and he's available. I can see him stepping in, but I get the feeling that he's probably done with the whole week-long hosting process. I can see that. I would say, from my in my opinion, I don't think he's done. I think he's, like, first of all, he's in incredible shape. He still kills every single time he's on the show. And, like, to me, that just, you know, goes to show you that there is absolutely no reason why they wouldn't want him to do it. Uh, I can I see the question from Monette's perspective where I believe she is saying that he's may not want to do it anymore and from his uh you know for his career and what where he's at in his life maybe he just prefers to just like come in every now and then for a cameo but i have to believe that in some type of celebratory fashion we're going to get one more tom hanks hosting appearance because i think he just clicks every single time he's there he's so good and you know probably you know once snl is you know, wrapped it in totality, I think we'll probably get overshadowed a little bit by Steve Martin, but uh, he has to be right up there with, with the all-time legends of the hosting greats. So very, would be very thrilled if we got him back. Going off of what Thomas said, let's keep in mind, he has been an emergency host before. He filled in for Joe Pesci at the end of season uh, 17 and had a brilliant episode. So he has been an emergency host before. Whether he would do that at this age now, you know, it's hard to say, but I think like 30 years ago, he's probably more prepped to like come in for the week than now when like if something happened to, uh, you know, Amy Schumer, let's say, for example. But I I agree with what you're saying. Okay, 
Let's take this question from our friend Ike Moore. Ike wants to know, what is a sketch from Bobby or Tom that you think is underrated? For me, it's Bobby and Cecily at different jobs making a scene when they think they're getting fired. And for Tom, it's actually a cameo he did when he played himself during a game of Celebrity Jeopardy. So guys, did you come with any underrated Tom or Bobby sketches for today? Thomas, I'll start with you. Yeah, so for Bobby, it may sound weird because he actually did this eight times, but we were just talking about how we can maybe tire of political cold opens and whatnot. But I think when he did the Fox and Friends political cold opens, those were really smart, I think, uh, for the most part, and really well done. And I think there should have been more credit given to to Bobby in that role and Taryn Killam. And who was the third one in that sketch? Does anybody remember? Vanessa. Oh, yes, it was Vanessa Bear. So <laughs> Bobby, Vanessa, and Taryn uh, did a great job in, on Fox and Friends. And even it sounds weird, like I said, eight times that he did it, but I think um, I, I just really loved him in that. As far as Tom Hanks, I gosh, the Mr. Belvedere fan club sketch is one of my all-time favorite sketches, but I don't know that that's underrated in our community. I would say there's a sketch from October of 1988 when he was promoting Big, and it was Big Outtakes. So it was just like Tom Hanks, you know, like showing outtakes of when he was filming big. So he like uh, ran over a kid when he was rounding, when Tom Hanks was rounding the bases and he bowled over this kid who was playing catcher. He was, it was just basically him bullying kids, kind of a precursor to the Peyton Manning United way sketch. <laughs> uh, so I think uh, just Tom Hanks having so much fun because a lot of things Tom Hanks did are properly rated, honestly. So that one big outtakes uh, sketch to me um, could be underrated. And if you want to hear more about that, listen to the SNL Hall of Fame um, episode three. We covered Tom Hanks. James, what are your picks? I know it's that, that's a good question. I do got to say, like that that sketch with Bobby and Cecily is great. I I say it way more than I should, but that line where they're working at McDonald's and they both sing in unison. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba, go kill yourself. I say that way more often when I should. <laughs> I should not say it as often as I do, but I do because their delivery is so funny. But uh, no, it's a Wait, good Wait, James, question. That, that, that isn't better for you than... Uh... Ba -da -ba -ba -ba, I'm loving both. Which one is better? Really, John? <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. I came on here last minute. Okay. Uh, uh, for Bobby... There, it's not a sketch, but there are two moments in two monologues, uh, both hosted by the same kills, and they're both hosted by Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And the first one, he did a Make Him Laugh musical number that's really great. And Bobby just sort of is like, he's just in there. And he repeatedly, for whatever reason, just keeps punching Joseph. And he does them in like the most in just a way that only he could kill. And then the other one that Joseph Gordon-Levitt host said, it was a Magic Mike uh, monologue. So it was him and like some of the other male cast members dancing behind him. And there's this part where each of the, it, one by one, they each rip off their shirt to reveal their abs. And when it comes to Bobby at the end, he rips off his shirt to reveal he's wearing another shirt underneath. <laughs> and there's just, it's those moments I feel like I love more than sketches from Bobby just the little moments where he can just come in and just make something better and as for Tom 
I, I really wanted to say Mr. Belvedere Fan Club. I really wanted to say that, but I do think, like Thomas said, that it, it, it's, it's pretty well known in our community. So instead, I'm going to go with uh, the Apple support system sketch from season 13. Uh, and Kevin Nealon, Kevin Nealon plays the guy who's helping him on the phone, and Tom just plays this manic guy who's just losing control that his computer won't start at his job. And he's, in, again, just in a way that only Tom could play it because he plays it so seriously. And I, 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 But it's a good question, and I will try and stop myself from saying that McDonald's one. <laughs> Yeah, th those are good picks. I think for me, I would say with uh, Bobby Moynihan, there's a couple. One is I always loved those morning Miami sketches that we got with, I think, Drake and Miley Cyrus, where he's playing Bitch Fantastic when he does that. That to me is like a very underrated uh, Bobby Moynihan sketch that that's really great. And then uh, I also, by the way, the sketch doesn't necessarily hold up and for good reason, but I, he, I knew Bobby Moynihan before he was on SNL because he was on Derek comedy, which was Donald Glover's sketch show that it was used to be on YouTube. And he was in a sketch called bro rape that I, when he, Bobby Moynihan got hired for SNL, I was like, Oh my God, that's the guy from Derek comedy. And I knew him. So you could, you could look that up if you want to, but, uh, that's something that I do remember that is still online, I believe. Um, and then I would say from Tom Hanks, um, the one, and I believe, I think John said this in the chat, if I saw correctly, uh, Mr. Short-Term Memory for me is like an all-timer that I love from Tom Hanks. Uh, I still get that theme song stuck in my head um, every now and then. So I really, really love that one. Okay, let's take this next question from Jason McKenzie. Jason wants to know, uh, why is, okay, so let's turn our attention to Amy Schumer coming up. We talked a lot about the Jack Harlow episode. Jason wants to know, why is the internet so down on Amy Schumer hosting SNL? I thought she was great when she has hosted. So James, do you have any perspective on this? This really, I would say, goes into two categories and I'll explain them. The one category I feel like is the most common, which is, there's a lot of joke theft in her career. A lot, a lot of joke theft. And again, it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I lie more on the side of like, hey, like a lot of people just think the same things. And, you know, it, we got bigger problems to worry about. So, but yeah, there's a lot of joke theft. And the jokes that she does have are very one note. It's all about her. Are we allowed, are we allowed to say pussy on here, John? Well, you did it already, so there you go. <laughs> well, uh, I, well I, I, I thought you were going to... I, 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 okay, all right. All right. Uh, well, you, you, know, you could have spelled you know. it out for me, but yeah. But anyways, oh, yes. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it... Uh, you know, so... That's Wait, and, and that's, I, and that's I a problem? Like, like that's not a good thing that she does that? Well, well, no, I just think, like, if you have a comedian who's very one-note and, like, does, like, just one thing and only talks about one thing, which I feel like is how a lot of people perceive perceive her, you, you know, people want variety. People want comedians talking about a bunch of things. And the other reason, and again, I, you know, a lot of sexism and misogyny. I, a lot of people, you know, make fun of her for how she looks and, you know, and the, the, I feel like that's, I, I feel like that's where it started. And I'm not I'm not saying you know I'm not saying like I'm a huge fan of Amy Schumer, but there like sexism and misogyny like I feel like is at its core of this hatred of Amy Schumer.
I don't like it. And it's, you know, you know, you cannot like her for possible joke theft or her humor is very one note, but yeah, there's the amount of misogyny. It's sad. Thomas. Yeah, I've heard I've heard the joke theft thing, and some examples are more clear cut than others um, as as far as she goes. And I think I, I subscribe to. There's a lot of parallel thinking uh, that goes on in comedy. Um, I've also heard that she might try too hard as far as like the the sexual uh, types of comedy that she likes to do. Um, but I I agree with James. There's a lot of I think a lot of it um, is misogyny for sure. I think when there's a strong uh, Pers- a woman with a strong personality who's opinionated who maybe talks about sex a lot and stuff i think there's a lot of misogynistic responses to that i think um when we say divisive it's just be- it's because people are put off by women who do have those type a strong personalities uh and whether they want to admit it or not i, th- I think if a, if a man had the same type of humor as Amy Schumer and conducted himself in the same way, there would be less criticism of him than of Amy Schumer. So I completely agree. I think maybe some reactions to Amy Schumer are fair. If that, if her comedy is not your type of comedy, comedy necessarily, it's not really mine to be quite honest with you. Uh, But I think a lot of it does boil down to, to misogyny. Yeah, that's fair. I don't know that I have a good answer to this question, Jason, to be honest with you, because I don't really get it. You know, like I I understand what James is saying. I understand what Thomas is saying. And those are all very uh, reasonable thoughts. That is potentially why. But for me, like I haven't seen any evidence of like anything that would turn me off to Amy Schumer. I mean, you could have like your personal brand of comedy that you either she does it for you or she doesn't. And that I will take as fair criticism of like, oh, Amy Schumer is just like not for me. So like I don't really enjoy seeing her on SNL that's fine but i just think that like there is like an overwhelming amount of like negative um yeah like feedback that came out when she was announced as the host and it's surprising like it was probably the most negative i've seen a host announcement in the three years i've been doing this and i don't really get it to be honest i i i do want to i do apologize for saying uh, oh, don't worry don't worry uh, you're, you're fine, you're I, I, fine. Do, if, oh, I will no. pay i will pay the censors when this goes out to apple and spotify i will pay the censors i promise and if you do don't watch worry. amy schumer stand up she does i i believe she even said it in her first monologue if i'm correct right i haven't seen it in a while but i believe i believe she does she say says it, what so she says what you're Let's go to the uh, to our final question of the night, and that will be also from Ike, who wants to know, in honor of the divisiveness that Amy Schumer brings, name me an SNL host that you do like, but a lot of people don't seem to. So, Thomas, is there an SNL host that people don't seem to like, but you have a thing for? Yeah, even though he's a five-timer, I've seen a lot of really mixed uh, opinions about Jonah Hill. Uh, who I love as a host, but I've seen a lot of people online either not like him or not like his stance on SNL. They don't like the the little kid at the Benihana, which I lo- I really enjoy that sketch. Uh, they don't they seem not to not just like a lot of the work that he's done on the show or just Jonah Hill in general. Uh, so I really I really enjoy Jonah Hill, and I think he does a good job uh, hosting SNL, and he's a five timer. 
Uh, so he would be my Seth Rogen. I enjoy too. And they're kind of in the same boat. I think a lot of those Apatow <laughs> comedic actors seem to be divisive online. Um, but yeah, Jonah Hill would probably be my number one, which sounds weird. Cause again, he is a five timer. James, who are your picks? Um, Oh my God. His, his, I, I, I can't remember his name. It's, it's, uh, Oh my God. It's on the tip of my tongue. I can't remember, but uh, he hosted twice. Oh my God. He, um, Oh my God! He was Any other in. Descriptors. Uh, he, he, he was in. Oh God! <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, he was in a couple of commercials. Uh, he, he sold steak. He sold hotels. I, I can't so, remember his name, but um, he sold steak. He, he, okay, yeah. He sold. I can't remember, but he he was pretty good. Do you want me to name um, you all the two-time male hosts? <laughs> you know what's you know what's weird? You have that list. And I probably do as well, <laughs> just on my okay. own. But uh, I, no, uh, uh, but seriously, I, I'm going to go with, I remember when he hosted someone else who, when he hosted, a lot of people were like, eh, he flubbed his lines a lot. But I liked him, and that was Liev Schreiber. I, he just had this charm about him that I really, and you're like, yeah, he flubbed his lines a lot. But I, I, thought, he, I thought he was pretty good. And coincidentally, he hosted the last midterms episode. You know, we're coming up on the next one. So, you know. It is interesting to see, you know, who who they get. They haven't announced it yet, but I know I I liked when he hosted, and I and I'd like to see him again. And I do want to point out that uh, for those who weren't clear, that the first person was Trump. Uh, and I also apologize for saying that if, if that's, uh, but yeah. Yes. Yeah. For <laughs> sure. Uh, so don't worry <laughs> you're doing great um so i will say that the one that stands out for me is the probably the sarah michelle geller episodes i think to me are extremely like not appreciated enough and i think she was a really great host of saturday Night live so i've seen like a lot of people especially like when i've gone back to check out like reviews of those shows they were like not as that big of a fan of her as an snl host and i think she was a fantastic snl host and one i would love to see again yeah, she um, was in the classic so, uh, dysfunctional family dinner sketch that I, I yeah. drive a Dodge Stratus. That was Sarah Michelle Geller that was that was in there. And I thought she was good in that sketch. I thought she played well with uh, Anna Gasteyer and Will Ferrell. That's a good one, John. Yeah. Although yeah, her sure. last hosted episode was notorious in which, like, it it was just it, it was just, it's a bad episode. I will say it's nothing to do with Sarah, but it's just a bad episode. Her last hosted one, and the week after, Lauren just ratted out everyone apparently. Uh, is what I believe someone who's been on the show before, Dean Edwards, is I believe that's what he said once, is that after that week it was, was so bad and Lauren ratted out everyone uh, because that So, But no, you're right. Sarah Michelle got a great host. Yeah. Okay, well, that does it for the questions from this week. Thanks to everybody who sent them in. And of course, we'll be back next Thursday night with more questions for and with a couple of new patrons to talk about everything from the Amy Schumer episode and the uh, look forward to the mystery episode six episode, which we should know who is hosting in a couple days time. So James, thank you for joining us tonight. I think you were fantastic tonight, by the way. It's just so much great insight. Love all the jokes and uh, all the swearing and stuff. Get the jar ready. So uh, appreciate you you coming on with us uh anywhere uh anything you want to plug john uh you can find me at any bathroom at any barnes and noble i'm having the time of my life in there uh <laughs> you can find me uh i don't use social media that often but you can follow me on tiktok jma has tiktok now you can follow me on insta jma has insta now 
um you yeah i you want to hit me up yeah i'm not up to much yeah yeah i'll, I'll plug okay. thomas's podcast so he doesn't have to go listen to snl hollow fame it's pretty good <laughs> well i know that he does have to or else uh, he will will get his librarian card removed so thomas you want to plug away uh, yeah, thank you for that, James. I'll still plug my podcast, though. So I'm the co-host and chief librarian of the SNL Hall of Fame podcast. Uh, we've been having a lot of fun with it. We're a few episodes in. Uh, this past week, a wonderful episode with uh, the great Bill Kenny, who you all know. He joined me to talk about Jan Hooks, which was an episode that was so near and dear to my heart. We all love Jan Hooks, so that was a great episode. Uh, coming up on Monday, we have Alec Baldwin as as the topic for discussion so we uh the snl hall of fame committee felt that alec baldwin was worthy of discussion and so we uh he deserves a shot he <laughs> didn't thank you john uh, uh I knew will you were norman yes i was just kind of waiting for it <laughs> and uh will norman who's a great patron uh for mm. the saturday night network uh, uh is my guest for the alec baldwin episode and it was a really great conversation will uh, is a great guest and and everything and then um uh, a special uh peak uh november 14th is going to be dave Grohl, which i'm super excited about that episode so that's what we have coming up on the snl hall of fame check us out awesome really excited for that and uh i believe i have some episodes coming on the snl hall of fame at some point this season dates to be but i will promote when they do come so looking forward to that and then of course uh saturday night we will be back to talk through this amy schumer and steve lacy episode so we got some really fun guests coming on the hot take show hope you're all able to join us at 1 10 a.m and then it's a full week of podcasting we are in it folks so really excited about the season kicking into flow gear now so thanks to james and thomas for joining us and everybody in the chat on this thursday night we will see you next time, everybody. Have a good one.